In your bulletins, you have another insert. Now, it's not as pretty as last week's. We had a threefold insert last week, but this is pretty much just a summary of everything that was in uh, the uh, original insert. And uh, this is just giving us the very specific details of our uh, Middle East crisis impact on the proclamation of the gospel seminar and conference that we're going to be holding here on Friday, Saturday, Friday and Saturday of next week, of next weekend, or this week actually, at the end of this week. Um, on April the 19th, which is Friday, uh, our guest speaker, Rich Freeman, who is with uh, Chosen People Ministries, uh, someone who's been with us many, many times, uh, he will be speaking on Friday night at 7.30. Now, what time is it at? 7.30. Okay. Now, I tell you that you've got reinforced the time change because normally don't, we don't start things at 7.30, but this time we will. Friday night at 7.30 goes from 7.30 to 9.30. And uh, Rich's uh, topic is going to be uh, how did we get to where we are as far as what's happening in the Middle East? How did we get there? It's a summary in a, of a, the history of Israel from Genesis to today. Now, we've covered some of that in our own study, <coughs> excuse me, of the book of Genesis. So uh, this will be a lot of reinforcement there. And then on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, we will resume the conference uh, with the topic, Where Are We Going? And Rich will be speaking on uh, Ezekiel's prophecy of a coming war. And uh, these are very pertinent chapters in the book of Ezekiel. And these are things that we do need to have our eyes open to because a lot of times we are asked by people about the reliability of the scriptures. You know, how, how can you say that the Bible is, is true? Well, one main reason why we can say the Bible is true because everything that is happening in the Middle East was predicted thousands of years ago. And we'll be able to put all of that together with what's happening today in the world and why we are in the mess that we are in as uh, human beings on this earth. And then uh, on Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock, there'll be a break between the sessions, and then at 1 o'clock, he'll be speaking on the topic, what do we do about it? What do we do about this Middle East crisis? And of course, the focus will be on the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel in light of this Middle East crisis. And then Rich will be speaking at our services next weekend on the gospel according to Isaiah 53. So I would really encourage you all to to make plans to attend and to be here for any or all of the conference itself. It would be such a wonderful blessing. I know that Rich will always have uh, materials available and uh, books that uh, you might uh, want, uh, even a lot of Hebraica stuff. Uh, you know, uh, Rich is a, is a Messianic Jew. He's uh, also has a heart's desire to bring many Jewish people to Jesus. So um, please uh, keep them in prayer. Uh, uh, Chosen People Ministries, Rich and his wife Julia, who will be with us. And pray about attending and being a part of this. It is free. Now, because I say it's free, doesn't make it any less important. Sometimes we think it's free. Well, it must not be all that great. Yes, it is. By the way, your salvation, it's free. You didn't have anything to do with it. You didn't have to pay for it. The price was paid by Jesus. So I think the value of something free is pretty good when it comes to the things of God and of, of the Word of God. So I would really encourage you to, to make plans to come. Bring family, bring friends, especially people that maybe have talked to you about the Middle East and are, 
are needing some answers to their questions, well, that opportunity will be given to us next weekend. So we encourage you to come. All right, let's turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 27. We are in the book of Genesis. We have been covering a lot of things that pertain to life back in the days of Abraham. But much of what we have been seeing in the covenant that was given by God to Abraham are things that are going to be actually fulfilled in the times that we're talking about as far as this, this uh, seminar and conference is concerned. But here in chapter 27, we began last week a study of this very crucial chapter in the scriptures. We're, we're transitioning from the life of Isaac to the life of Jacob, his son. And um, yet we find that this family has become quite dysfunctional, if I could use that term. This was a family that knew about God, that should have known God intimately and personally, and I'm sure did, Isaac and Rebekah especially. Jacob, more than likely. Esau, I don't know. But he had the opportunity to know about God, the God of Abraham. Isaac's getting very old. He's 137 years old, and he thinks that he could die at any moment. So now he's going to give a blessing to his son Esau. But there's something wrong with that picture. Seventy-seven years earlier, when Esau and Jacob, who by the way are not boys, they're men, 77 years old by the way. But 77 years before this, God had given a prophecy to Rebekah about the two sons that were in her womb. I mean, because they were going after it inside her womb. There was a struggle inside of her womb, and God had to tell her, there's two nations that are inside of you. But eventually, the elder or the oldest will serve the younger. The prophecy being that whoever is the firstborn will not be given the blessing of the firstborn. But in fact, the second one born will be, be receiving the blessing. This is God's purpose and God's plan and God's will. But as we found out last time, Isaac had a favorite. His favorite was Esau. And he wanted Esau to have the blessing. So he said to his son Esau, come here and and go out now and, and, and hunt for me some game and bring that game and make some savory food for me. And when you do that, I'm going to bless you. And he was establishing a custom, well, it was already established, but he was establishing it in his own family that his firstborn was going to receive the blessing. But in opposition to the will of God who said the older will serve the younger. So Esau goes off to hunt. And Rebekah overhears this conversation and she says to her son Jacob, who was her favorite, Listen, Jacob, go to the flocks and bring two goats. I'm going to cook those goats up for you and then make them real nice and tasty. And then you're going to take these uh, or this, this meal to your father, but you're going to go as Esau. 
In other words, you're going to lie. And you're going to deceive. But you're going to go because we're going to have God out here. God says you're going to be the one that receives the blessing. So we've got to go and let you do this. And he said, but there's a problem here. I'm not hairy like my brother. All right, we'll work that out. We'll put some skins on your arms and the hair on it. And then he'll feel and I mean, Esau must have been really hairy that, uh, you know, they could do that. And then and we'll put on his clothes. You'll put on his dirty clothes so that he'll smell like him. Huh. But he doesn't. That was the plan. Today, the plan has legs. And the plan begins. Notice if you will, verse 18. I want you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to read this from your scriptures. So he, speaking of Jacob, went to his father, but impersonating Esau, remember. He went to his father and he said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Isaac has to ask, Well, who are you? And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I suppose Jacob didn't have the wisdom enough to kind of try to change his voice. So... He says, I've done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? In other words, how was it that you just kind of went out the door to hunt? Probably a good ways away. Find, you know, find what you're looking for. Find your, your, you know, your, 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 uh, your game and, and, and then take it and then of course you have to skin it and then you've got to do all kinds of other stuff to it and you did all of this so quickly how did you do that? and Jacob said because the Lord your God brought it to me okay so far three lies so far and then Isaac said to Jacob please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. I, I've, got, I've, got, I've got some tests here. You remember now, Isaac is blind. He can't see, but he can hear and he can smell and he can taste. So he feels. When Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him, and he said, Well, now the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Isaac blessed Jacob with a blessing that was irrevocable and a blessing that was irreversible. Because you see, in those days, your word was everything. And you never took it back. No matter what. It's not like today. People say one thing and do another. But in those days, this was your character. This was your life. This is how people saw you. He blessed him. And then he said, are you really my son Esau? Now he's, he's really suspicious because he didn't want to bless the wrong person. In fact, he was blessing the right person, but in the wrong way and with the wrong motives and with the wrong situation and scenario. He says, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. Another lie by Jacob. 
He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing. And he blessed him and he said, surely... The smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. By the way, Isaac is not going by faith. He's going by flesh. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven. Now, this is legit here. This is his legitimate blessing. May God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, to explain May God give you rich ground and provide for you everything you need in your family and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. That was the blessing. He thought he was blessing Esau. In fact, he was blessing Jacob. Now, if you remember, in our previous study in chapter 27, the first part, we examined the ABCs of tampering with the will of God as it pertained to this dramatic and difficult event in the lives of Isaac and Rebekah, of Esau and Jacob. We have arrived to a, a, a chapter in Scripture that is really much like a soap opera. Uh, but I know you all don't watch soap operas. Do I need to explain? Man, soap operas are sad. They're tragic. All kinds of stuff go on. All kinds of weird stuff go on. All kinds of bad stuff go on. I guess they're trying to say that that's the way life is. Read the Bible. It's better. The sad thing is, this is life, isn't it, sometimes? Where no one in a family can trust anybody else. Where when you put God aside, you begin to try to work things out on your own and it doesn't work. It brings contentions and all kinds of things. Well, here's the ABCs of tampering with the will of God from what we already learned. First of all, there's the appetite. That was the appetite of whom? The appetite of Isaac. I mean, he he had an appetite for food, but he also had an appetite to do things uh, to get his own way and not God's way. He knew that there was a promise that was given to Rebekah that the elder would serve the younger, which means that the second born would actually be the one getting the blessing. So his appetite was depending on the flesh. And then there was this blessing. But with, but with Isaac, he, his desire was to bless the wrong son. His desire was to bless his favorite son. Besides, he's the firstborn, isn't he? Esau was the firstborn. Got to bless him. But that's not what God decided. That's not what God said. That's not what God prophesied would happen. And the other thing that happens is contention takes place in that family. Deception and favoritisms result. The result of the favoritism that took place in that family and the deception that took place only brought contention. They were at each other. There was no peace in this family. There should have been peace in this family because 
God should have been at the center of their decisions. God should have been at the center of their lives. God should have been the first one that they went to about this very critical situation because 77 years before this, God told them this was going to happen. They should have actually said, Lord, how is this going to come about? We don't want to get in the way, but you've got to show us. And God would have done it. But God also knew what was going to happen. And God also was going to bring about what he needed to bring about so that Messiah would come through the right line. Messiah would have never come through the line of Esau. He was going to come through the line of Jacob. Both Isaac and Rebekah rationalized their actions. Isaac, in doing what was customary and traditional in blessing his eldest son Esau, thinking, well, that's what everybody does, so I've got to do it too. While Rebekah reasoned that her plan was a just cause because of God's promise that the elder would serve the younger. In other words, the end justifies the means with Rebekah. It doesn't matter how we get to the end, but we've got to get to the end. The end is, Jacob's going to get blessed. But God says, but you're doing it your way, not mine. Neither Esau or Jacob were innocent in in that Esau had already sold his birthright to Jacob, telling us that he really didn't care about the birthright. He wanted the blessing, but on his own terms. How many people today want the blessing of God, but only on their own terms? There are people today like that all the time. There are people, even in the church today, they don't want to do what God's Word says, but they want the blessing anyway. That doesn't make sense, does it? Our God is a holy God. Our God is a righteous God. Our God is a just God. Our God is a loving God. We ought to do what He says. Our God knows better than we do. Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, albeit under deceptive means. And Jacob, in playing along with his mother Rebekah's plan to help God out, just proves that Jacob was guilty too. But as we enter into this next section of chapter 27, things just seem to get worse. Jacob lied to his father Isaac as to his identity, having adopted his mother's the end justifies the means approach, which reminds us that their sin was an attempt to secure God's will in a wrong way. Jacob had obviously been taught that he was heir to God's promises, and he had secured the birthright during a moment of Esau's weakness. He was right in sensing and feeling that he was God's choice, Jacob was. But he was wrong in feeling self-sufficient and in seeking to handle things without the Lord's direction and help and timing. The sad thing is that he knew well what he was doing. I mean, again, he was 77 years old. He could have have argued that he was only obeying his mother. Anybody 77 years old here who still has their mother and only does what the mother says and not what God says? Hard to find anybody like that. The fact is he could have refused. Jacob could have refused and suggested that they just face the situation honestly and confront Isaac. I mean, if you're really being led by the Spirit of God, I mean, the thing is, we shouldn't be doing all these things that are deceptive. There's no reason to do it. With God, all things are possible. To do things right. To do things just. And to do things holy. 
But he didn't suggest that because no one was in, no one was in, the, in the right frame of heart. It really suggests that they had walked far from God. The plan and deception was set upon Jacob once he put on Esau's clothes and he took the, the meal in his hands to his father. Once that started, the deception was in effect. You know, it's been said that deception can only be defended by more deception. And this was Jacob's tangled web. That's why the first thing we look at today is, is Jacob's defense, which was no defense at all because it was all deception. But that would be what he would try to do, is try to defend himself, that he was only doing what was the right thing because of what God had promised. It was just being done in the wrong way. I don't believe that Isaac asked his son for identification because he was hard of hearing. Who are you, my son? He probably started getting suspicious because he didn't expect Esau to return home so quickly from the hunt. There were a lot of suspicious things going on when, he, when, when Isaac brought this meal to, or I should say when Jacob brought this meal to Isaac. So Jacob lied about his name. Jacob lied about the food. He, he called the goat's meat game, but it was meat from the flock. Rebecca must have been a, a wizard in the kitchen, you know, to make something that tasted like game. Probably used a lot of pico de gallo or something like that, you know. Kind of cover up some of that flavor. But most seriously, Jacob gave credit to the Lord for helping him find it so, quick, so quickly. He gave credit to the Lord. In fact, you can actually call it blaspheming. Or at least bordering on, on blasphemy. More correctly, he used the name of the Lord in vain. So that was sin enough, wasn't it? He used the name of the Lord in vain. What does it mean to use the name of the Lord in vain? It means to use it worthlessly, to use it emptily. Like, like, like a, you know, just, it's just another word to say. How did you find this game so quick and prepare it? Well, because of the Lord your God, right? I mean, that, that's the, the phrase that we want to look at here. Because there's something interesting about the statement made in verse 20 by Jacob impersonating Esau. Let's look at uh, verse 20. When the question is asked, how is it that you have found it so quickly? He said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Did you notice that? Because the Lord your God. He stated clearly that by calling God Isaac's son, I'm sorry, by calling God Isaac's God, and not saying my God. You'll notice he didn't say my God, he says your God. He was giving indication that Esau did not know and profess the God of Isaac at the time of his life. So he was referring to God as Esau would. I mean, he was covering all of the bases that he could cover. He probably knew that Esau was not as close to God as he was and everybody else was. Esau was a man of the earth. He was a man of the dirt. He was a man of the, you know, of the outdoors. That's already been proven and seen. So Jacob just says, well, he said something that Esau would have said. Only problem with that is, simply by Jacob's actions, he was proving his own distance from God by impersonating 
another. He was far from God too, wasn't he? There's a lesson to be learned in this. People in all walks of life try to impersonate other people. They try to walk and talk and look and preach and teach and argue cases like others instead of just being themselves. We hear someone and we want to pattern ourselves just like them, be like them, act like them, take on all of their, their individual idiosyncrasies and characteristics, and that's, that's not really good. It's, it's okay to follow a good example, but not try to impersonate another person. Be who you are. I mean, this is what God wants us to be. Be the person that God has made you. Consider what Paul says in in Ephesians 4, verse 7. He says, but to each one of us, each one of us, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. God has given each and every one of you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, He has given each and every one of you a gift. He has given you grace according to the measure of His grace. Grace is a gift. And you have many gifts. Some of you have many gifts. Others have you maybe a few less and some a few more. But you all have gifts. You have at least one gift that God has given you. Well, use that one gift to the glory of God. And use it through your personality and through your character because God loves you individually. God did not create us all to be clones. We're not to be clones. The Lord just wants us to be ourselves, to fulfill His will for us by letting our own personalities and contributions shine through our lives. It is good to follow dynamic examples of others without trying to impersonate or be like them. The Lord has made each of us distinctive with distinctive gifts and abilities to make distinctive contributions to society as well as to the kingdom of God. That is why Paul says in Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, he says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Folks, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do you have gifts? Okay, yeah, it's okay. You can talk back to me a little bit. Do, do you have gifts if, you have, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Then use them. That's what he's saying. If you have gifts, use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry, which means service. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. I always love that. You know, when you, when you, when you show mercy to someone, don't do it with a, with a, with a sour look. Here, have mercy. Be cheerful about it. Oh, be blessed with the mercy of God. Be blessed because God loves you so much. No, but don't, don't, don't make it seem like, boy, it's a burden to be a merciful kind of person, you know. No, rejoice. That's the character of the Spirit of God. It's a, it's a spirit of joy and of peace. It's a, joy, it's, a, it's a spirit of victory. We have victory in Christ. Oh, victory in Jesus. It's ours. Our Savior forever. 
Well, getting back to our text in verses 21 through 27. Jacob continued to lie about his identity. And you know what? He lied about his love toward his father. How could he not? He's not Esau. How could he express his love to his father if he's not who he says he is? While Isaac let his senses of touch, taste, and smell overrule what he had heard, Jacob was kissing his father hypocritically. Now, remember this, that in, in the Old and New Testaments, the Hebrew language and in the Greek language, the words that are for worth and worship, worthy, those words all mean the same thing. They mean to kiss toward it with affection, the person that we are honoring, that we are blessing, that we are worshiping, to kiss toward. So it was a very important act to kiss because that kiss was a sign of deep affection and honor, especially in a family, toward a parent, especially the father. And he asks uh, Well, he wants Esau to come, but it's Jacob impersonating Esau. And Jacob kisses his father hypocritically. How can he truly say he loves him? Because he's lying about who he is. And you know what that brought to mind? It brought to mind the person of Judas Iscariot. On that night that Jesus was betrayed, Judas was was carrying out a plan to identify Jesus in the dark to those who who were coming to arrest Jesus. What was the sign that he used to show them who Jesus was? He came to kiss him. And he kissed Jesus. And then he stood back and watched these people come and arrest him. What do you think about that kiss? What hypocrisy. Where was the love? Truly, it wasn't for Christ. And think about this back here in Genesis. All of this, what was happening with Isaac and Jacob in that room, it was the basis of the blessing. It was the basis of the blessing. The whole scene was the basis of the blessing. Isaac thinking that he's blessing his favorite son Esau and Jacob laying claim to God's will and blessing before its time and by a wrong and deceptive method. Jacob was laying claim to God's will and blessing by his own human plans and that of his mother acting in his own strength, acting in his own wisdom, and ignoring God totally. When you act in your own strength and wisdom, you are ignoring God completely. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever done that? Don't admit it. Or maybe you do admit it. 
Because you see, the scriptures are a mirror to, to us of the way we live our lives sometimes. It's painful, isn't it? All of us have done it in one way or another. It's painful to ignore God's will and God's ways. I would encourage you, don't do that. Don't devise a plan and then tell God to bless it. Get on your face before God and say, Lord, I don't have a plan. Give me yours. That's why getting into God's Word is so important because His Word has the plan for each and every one of us. The more time we spend in God's Word, the more we know of that, of that plan and of His will and of His ways. Isaac, the father, was basing his feelings on the smell of Jacob's flesh, indicating that he too was far from the will of God. Both were relying on their senses instead of obeying the word of God and following God's plan. And this brings us, uh, or this brings to mind the clarity of a statement that was made by Jesus to Nicodemus on that night when Nicodemus came to visit Jesus. And Jesus said to him, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, John 3, 6. There's a tremendous difference, isn't there? By trying to live by the flesh or trying to live by the spirit, which is, which is it going to be? Do we live by the flesh or do we live by the Spirit? Do we continue now in the flesh or do we continue in the Spirit? If we came to the Lord by the Spirit, are we going to now live our lives again in the flesh? Do we see the difference and the contrast of what happens when you live by the flesh and by the Spirit? It's totally different. There is no way to know righteousness or to walk in righteousness except to turn away from the flesh and walk by faith alone. I want to say that again because I don't want you to miss this point. There is no way to know righteousness or to walk in righteousness except to turn away from the flesh and walk by faith alone. The Bible tells us that we have been called to walk in the Spirit. We have been called to walk in the Spirit. That's what Paul says in Galatians 5.16. I say then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we're struggling with things in the flesh... We know why we are. Because we're not walking in the Spirit. Should we be? Of course. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you should be walking in the Spirit every day. It's a struggle to get there. Every morning, it's a struggle. Every day is a struggle. But we need to remember what Jesus Christ did for us so that that struggle is not so hard on us. We need to remember the price that He paid on the cross for our sins. We need to remember that He died for our sins and that He shed His blood for our forgiveness. We need to remember these things. We need to remember the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to remember the empty tomb where Christ had been laid, but He wasn't there anymore because He's risen and He's alive. And if we have come to Jesus Christ, we haven't come to Jesus Christ to get a membership card. We have been given the Spirit of God. What are we doing if we're not living and walking in the Spirit? Consider, if you will, though, just a few verses later, in verses 22 through 26, we hear and read what it says of the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh 
Have you crucified the flesh? Those who are Christ have. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we are living in the Spirit because we have the Spirit of God, because you know we cannot say that Jesus Christ is Lord unless we have the Spirit of God in us. We could not say that Jesus Christ is our Lord except by the Spirit of God, but yet we are still to be blessed and filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. We are to be people of the Spirit of God. Therefore, if we live in the Spirit, then we must walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. Look at this last part. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What does that sound like? That sounds like Genesis 27 to me. That sounds like what is happening in this chapter because they have not walked in the Spirit, because they set aside the will of God, because they've ignored the plan of God. And they're now conceited. When you're conceited, you're just thinking about your own plan. Were they provoking each other in that family? Yeah, there was a lot of contention in that family. They were provoking each other. They were lying to each other and deceiving each other. And then it tells us they were envying one another. Oh, Esau, where's my blessing? I hate to say it, but Jacob wanted that blessing, didn't he? He didn't want to wait for God's timing. He wanted it his own way. All of those things are taken care of. If we walk in the Spirit, we are humbled. Not conceited, but humbled. We don't provoke one another, we love one another. We have peace with one another. If we're walking in the Spirit, we don't envy what anybody has because we know God has given us enough blessing in our life, if not more than what we could ever handle. Because of the Spirit of God. Now, the blessing that was given by Isaac included God's material blessings. We, we, saw, we can go back to those words, uh, the, uh, 27, verses 27 to 29, uh, the, the verses that deal with the blessing that was given. Uh, it was uh, material blessings. They were God's political blessings and that the nations were to be under, under Isaac's rule, or I should say uh, Jacob's rule and authority. And God was to bless and curse those nations that blessed and cursed Jacob and his offering. Uh, offspring, the idea being that the Lord would protect and secure Jacob. But take note that Isaac didn't confer the blessing of the promised seed. Isaac did not confer the blessing of the promised seed upon Jacob. This is critical. Now, Jacob will have that promise from God. But Isaac did not give that promise here. And this is significant. We have to ask why. Why didn't Isaac give him that promise? The promise that the promised seed would come through him. Well, was it that he was stricken in conscience by God and by God's spirit and God's conviction? Was he stricken in conscience when the voice that he heard didn't quite sound like Esau? Uh Uh-oh. Something's not right here. Was God trying to tell him something? Was God trying to awaken him to something? Or did he come to his senses enough that he deliberately withheld the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant from whom he knew wasn't to properly receive it, which was, he was thinking it was Esau. God convicted him enough to say, oh, so you're going to give that blessing away that isn't yours to give? 
He didn't give that blessing. He did bless Jacob, but he didn't give that blessing. Which reminds us of something that we saw last week in Proverbs 19.21. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that, that will stand. Isaac had his own plans, even at 137 years old. But it wasn't God's plan. And that's sad. Well, we go from that defense, which was no defense, but just deception, more deception, to despair. Isaac was, was despairing, and so was Esau. As we read on in verses 30 through 40. thought that changed. There it is. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. And Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. The picture is kind of funny because I don't know if you've ever seen those comedies where somebody's trying to hide out from someone else and they hear that somebody's coming and they go out one door and the other people come in from the back door, you know. So they come in and the other ones go out and they go out and the other ones come in and they're just kind of back and forth kind of thing. And that's what happened here. You know, I, Jacob goes out the back door and Esau comes through the front door and just misses Jacob. And, uh, it, and we're told that he also had made savory food. Esau had done what his father had asked him to do. Made savory food and he brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. I can't wait for this blessing, man. So come on and eat, dad. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? This is becoming more comedic. Who are you? So he said, well, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And notice verse 33. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. Stop there for just a moment. Isaac's plan just went south. Isaac was now awakened to the deception fully and completely. But more than that, he was awakened to the fact that his plan was not going to come about. No matter how it happened, God stifled Isaac's plan. And all Isaac could do was finally, by the way, finally tremble in the fear of God. You ever been caught? God catches you, man. Everything just drops. In a way, though, it's good. He said, who? I, uh, Esau? Well, where's the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I, I ate all of it before you came and I have blessed him. And indeed he shall be blessed because my word is irrevocable and my, and, and, and my blessing is irreversible. Because a man's blessing 
A man's words cannot be taken back. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? Is he not rightly named uh, conniver and deceiver and, and supplanter and thief? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and now look, he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made him your master. Do you remember now? The elder shall serve the younger. God promised it. God prophesied it. I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau wept, lifted up his voice, and he wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, Your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. In other words, you're not going to be living in a a very fertile land. You're going to have to work that land yourself very hard. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. In other words, this isn't a blessing. This is a prophecy for the rest of your life and the life of your descendants. Jacob nearly got caught, as we said before, by Esau as the elder brother returning from his hunt. Which should make us wonder what lie Jacob would have told to explain why he was wearing Esau's dirty clothes. Hey, what are you doing in my clothes? Well, let me see. Let me see if I can figure this one out. Because you see, lies only lead to more lies, right? You try to cover one lie, you're going to have to lie again. Unless you just finally come out and say, you know, it's all a lie. And tell the truth. But as a conspiracy unfolded to Esau and Isaac, each of them responded quite differently. Isaac trembled excessively because he knew that his own selfish plan of blessing Esau had been overruled by many years previously in in, in the Lord's promised prophecy that was given about the elder serving the younger. But Esau, Esau wept uncontrollably and he begged for Isaac to bless him. Now, oh listen, we know it wasn't his fault, of course, right? It was his crafty brother's fault because you've always got to blame someone else. You've always got to blame someone else. The Lord has provided for us an excellent commentary of this event. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And this is speaking about Esau. The attitudes that we are not supposed to have We're told in verse 16, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. 
for, for just a, a bowl of lentil soup, he sold his birthright to his brother. Didn't care for it, did he? Cared more about eating than he cared about the birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now this is an interesting statement about Esau. Because we need to remember that this was the man who despised his birthright and married two pagan women. Not Isaac and Rebekah's desire. Now he's weeping and crying out for his father to bless him. He's lived his own life his own way, but now he wants the blessing of his father. Esau tried to repent, but his own heart was too hard, and he couldn't change his father's mind. His tears were not tears of repentance for being an ungodly man. Have you cried tears of repentance because you've, you know, when you came to realize that you were an ungodly person, you cried tears of repentance saying, Lord God, have mercy on me, forgive me, have mercy on me, a sinner. No, he wasn't crying tears of repentance for being an ungodly man. They were tears of regret because he had lost the covenant blessing. He had lost the blessing that he, he believed was really just for him. He wanted the blessing, but he didn't want to be the kind of man whom God would bless. And folks, that is a major problem today, even in the church. The people want the blessing of God without allowing God to change our lives so we can be like God wants us to be. We want God's blessing on our own terms. But we can't do that. And God won't allow it. People will start their own churches so that they can say, we want to live our own way, our own lifestyle. We want God's blessing, but on our own terms. Guess what? God won't honor that. Because God is a God of truth. And God is a God of justice. And He's a God of righteousness. And He's a God of holiness. And He's not going to be turned. Isaac, praise the Lord for this, Isaac was not turned. Because finally Isaac's eyes were open to God and the fear of God. Esau wanted the blessing, but he didn't want to be the kind of man who God would bless. And as someone once said, we may forget our decisions, but our decisions don't forget us. The results of tampering with the will of God are clearly seen in what happened to Isaac's family, especially with Esau, who tried to divert and change the will of God. Isaac, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, was stirred to make a prophecy concerning his favorite son, Esau, and his descendants who were to become the nation of Edom. Verses 39 and 40, it says, Then I'm sorry, then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become reckless that you shall uh, restless. I'm, sure, I'm sorry that you uh, that when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Esau and his descendants were to live in a barren, infertile land. They were to live in conflict. They were to live in servitude. They they would occasionally be delivered, throwing off the yoke of foreign rule. Rule, but but the heart of Esau would be filled 
with barrenness, bitterness, with hatred, and with restlessness. That would be the heart of Esau. Genesis 27, verses 41 through 46, the last part of this. Notice what it says. So Esau hated Jacob. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which was, with, with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Wait a minute, Rebekah, haven't you learned anything yet? It's not your voice that Jacob needs to hear. It's the voice of God. Rebecca still has to learn this lesson. And notice that as she says, Obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. You think Esau's going to forget what Jacob did? I don't think so. And then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. Now this, this, this last verse here pertains to the next chapter. We'll talk about that next time. But I'll read it to you. I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of, of Heth, which, which are the Hittites. Uh, if Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, which Esau did, uh, like those, uh, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? We'll, we'll talk about that again later. So there is that defense of what Jacob did, which wasn't a defense at all, but just more de- deception. There, there, there again was uh, the uh, despair that came upon Isaac and, and, and Esau. But now we come to the um, we come to the departure. Departure of, of Jacob. We'll see more of this next time. But have you ever heard the expression, don't get mad, get even? Y'all heard that? Don't get mad, get even. Well, that may be a popular philosophy among people and politicians, but this would actually become Esau's practice. He was mad and he was going to get even. If, you, if, if he couldn't enjoy the blessing, neither would Jacob. You know, there's so many sad people in this in this life today that have that very same philosophy if I can't enjoy a blessing I don't want anybody else to enjoy it either isn't that the height of selfishness isn't that just the height of pride as believers in Jesus Christ we get excited when somebody is blessed we should be thankful that a person gets blessed by God even the scriptures tell us that we're to to rejoice with those who rejoice and we're to mourn with those who mourn and weep. We're to weep with those who weep. But we, we're to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. But, Jay, but, but, but uh, Esau was corrupted with bitterness and hatred and anger. The man destined to live by the sword would start by using it against his own brother. Esau was saying, in effect, vengeance is mine, saith Esau. But the Bible says different. God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And recompense 
Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. Vengeance is God's. It is not ours. Now, to close, Rebecca had, had a network of communication that brought her notice that Esau's threat was out there, and once again she moved to, into action. Her plan was to send Jacob to Haran to live with her brother Laban and then send for him when it was safe to return home. But here's, here's the problem. Rebecca has to face the consequences of her own sin. And, and so she's going to face the results of tampering with the will of God. And what are those results? First of all, she would suffer loss or the loss of her son Isaac and would never see him, see him again for she would die before his return. She said, go away for a while, and then when you come back, things will be cool, right? She'll never see him again. And then secondly, she suffered the loss of Esau's trust and affection. And then, as we'll learn next time, she was forced to deceive Isaac again to help Jacob escape the vengeance of Esau. So what a soap opera. You know, we don't even need TV, man. If we just read the Bible, man, we get all kinds of stuff. And it's sad. And it's painful. Sometimes it's tragic. But you know what? It's life, isn't it? And here's my question to you this, this morning as we close. Have we seen God's sovereign grace at work in this chapter? There's only one answer, so you can answer it if you'd like. Have we seen God's sovereign grace at work in this chapter? We've seen a lot of sin. We've seen a lot of selfishness, but have we seen God's grace? Yes. I can say with confidence that we have. Because you see, the evil is still evil, though God uses it for good. The evil is still evil, though God uses it for good. If this were not so, those who crucified the Lord Jesus would be innocent because they would claim being instrumental in God accomplishing the redemption of His people. Well, listen, God used us, so we, we can't possibly be guilty. The fact of the matter is, we're all guilty. I want you to consider something that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost when he, when he went from the upper room to the temple and preached to the Jews in the temple. And he said to them this in Acts 2.23. Speaking of Jesus, he said, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. There's God's grace, sovereign grace. You have taken, he says, by lawless hands. Your hands are lawless. Your hands are sinful. You have taken the creator of the heavens and the earth. And you have crucified him. And you have put him to death. You are responsible. Even though God determined this. And set this purpose in motion. But I have good news for you. Jesus died on the cross for you. Because he came for you first. And if you'll repent of your sins and turn to the Lord God and receive the promise of Jesus Christ, 
the promise of His Spirit and accept the truth of the gospel, then you will benefit and you'll be saved. That day, 3,000 people received the Lord because of that revealing. Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob, they were most criminal here. While God, who was used who was using their criminal practices. He was holy, he was just, and he was good. God's sovereignty is in effect even now, folks. And it was in effect even then. And we close with this one verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We need to keep this in mind because eventually we're going to see the blessing come upon Jacob the right way. And we're going to see what that brings about when we see the line continue until Jesus comes. But there is that need to realize that all the lessons that we can learn from this chapter can be applied today. Let's not be deceptive. Let's not lie. Let's let our yes be a yes and our no's a no. Let us be open and honest. Let us humble ourselves. Let us not provoke one another. Let us not envy one another. Let us encourage each other as is the heart of the believer in Jesus Christ. As we see the day of Jesus approaching, come to the cross. Come to the cross. Do you know what they were forsaking that day? They were forsaking the cross. Do you know what the symbol of the cross was for them at that time? It was the altar. Remember every time that Abraham went to the altar? It was to give thanks to God for what God had done. They had forsaken God for a while. There was no altar. There was no place to go seek after God. We have an altar. It is Jesus himself. He sacrificed Himself in our place. We can come to Him at any moment. We can come to Him now. If we've got things to lay before God, let's lay it before Him now because I want you to leave here different than when you came. I want you to leave here blessed. I want you to leave here ready to serve the Lord again and to serve Him until the day that He comes and takes us home. But we must change now. Right now. Let's pray.